Hi there, I'm Julie Nemitz, and this is In the Green Room, a Creatives Going Digital podcast. I take the 15 plus years I've spent in digital marketing for Fortune 500 brands and my years of supporting nonprofits, arts organizations, Grow Online, to today, where I help creative folks like you learn to make, move, and market content online. Whether you are working for an arts organization or for yourself, this podcast serves to help keep the creative arts and artists moving forward into the digital age. I also feature current arts news, a healthy dose of marketing know-how, tips and tricks, and feature interviews with some of the country's finest arts makers. So take your seat in the green room. I'm so glad to have you here where you belong. I have a couple of questions for you. Number one, how are you navigating through all of this change? You know, how are you and your organization faring? I'm really curious. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How are you increasing relevance in your community? How are you, how are you managing inside of your organization? And I'm, well, I guess without further ado, I want to introduce you to my incredibly very special guest. I am so honored to have even grabbed 45 minutes with this um, rock star in my book anyway. I'm so happy to have Diane Mataraza here today from Mataraza Consulting. Diane is a revered arts consultant and thought leader with a career that spans an impressive list of accomplishments. Get this, from senior advisor at the National Endowment of the Arts to executive director of the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, the Grammy Awards. She is a former national grant seeker and registered lobbyist and the considerable scale of Diane's experiences and enabled her to quickly relate and comprehend client realities. Because Diane now today has dedicated her time helping artists and cultural organizations navigate change, increase relevance and build community. So like I said, without further ado, please welcome Diane. Diane, thank you so much for being here. Delighted. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm just beyond. And I, I have to tell you that I've been so enjoyed our conversations over the last couple of months. I, um, you know, we're really working hard to keep theater moving forward strategically. Um, we're all sort of have our brain right now in 2021. And, and I have a feeling with some of your advice, I'll bet we're all going to end this day with a newfound sense of focus and I hope purpose, right? I um, I discovered you through several conversations that I've been having with some of the Academy members, as well as on some panels with the American Association of Community Theaters. And I said, I need to check out this, Diane. And so I just pulled up that Google machine and I was just blown away. So Diane, thanks again for being here. My pleasure. Um, can you mind, would you, I gave a little bit of your bio, but would you mind maybe expanding on like what you're doing now with organizations? Sure. Um, I've been uh, consulting since about 2000 and prior to that was on your side of the screen running organizations and, um, running organizations (laughs) um, for the last 20 years in my consulting work, uh, my client base is national. Um, I work with 
arts organizations, nonprofits, artists, co-ops. I work with cities, states, um, regional organizations, foundations, and the, I guess in a nutshell, the, the whole point of my work is to better connect the arts with, with arts and creative experiences with the people that can enjoy them. And so my whole shtick is um, more artists, more connections, um, and that's really, that's really what drives me. I said I was never that talented, so I live vicariously through people that are. There are probably um, the people on the other side of the screen. There are not a lot of you on the planet, but there are thousands of me on the planet. So <laughs> I thank you for your creative work, and I'm, I run behind organizations uh, just to help them with their operations and to help keep their houses in order. Yes, exactly. And you know, a uh, part of the Playhouse Theater Marketing Academy is an incredible group. I like to call them sort of a mastermind of about 48 theaters from across the country and Canada, even Hawaii, um, uh, the island of Hawaii. And um, I hear a lot of feedback from them. And it, it's it, feedback is such a blessing because I really I, I, I'm starting to understand how different organizations are managing through this pandemic. And the last seven months have definitely been devastating to arts organizations. Um, but I wanted to kind of take a step back away from, uh, from talking about like the here and now. And I would love just to get your um, opinion and your feedback on what do you think makes a strong organization? That's a great question. Um, I'm gonna lead with fabulous communication. Because if you are communicating with your staff, with your actors, with your audiences, um, with your communities, uh, chances are that you have uh, great intel on what is wanted and needed. And so um, when you have that good communication, uh, it also endears your community and your actors and your staff. There's just more of a sense of team. And I find, especially today, that collective wisdom is the ticket. And so um, organizations that have strong teams and good communications um, have an advantage over those that may not. Right. And, you know, sometimes I, I sometimes I see theaters um, or I see organizations where um, they are very um, tunnel visioned in what they think their patrons and their uh, audiences want. When to your point, Diane, the truth is the answers lie in who you serve and the answers lie in who you communicate effectively with. So um, th there's kind of a double-edged sword there, right? Where, um, you know, you have to have your blinders off very often yeah. to be an effective communicator. Yeah, I am. Um, uh, if you imagine that all your whole corpus of work is the supply and then you imagine all of the people for whom the work is intended as the demand. Um, I, I tell organizations that they need to be as smart about the demand side of their work as they are about the supply side. So um, the excellence of the offering, um, the, the, um, the professionalism, the content, um, the all of the attributes that one looks for in production and performance, that um, 
firsthand information that you have about that, test yourselves and see if you feel that you have the same level of understanding about your audience, um, who they are, are you reaching the entire community, uh, who in your community are you not reaching, um, and what do they want, what do they need, um, and more important than the people that are coming to, to uh, performances or taking advantage of offerings or coming to classes are, as you think about your communities, who, who have we not reached? Who's not coming? And, and especially now, I, I know COVID is a tough time, but if we use it as a hiatus and an opportunity to do those things that you never have the time to do during your season and during the year because you're so busy, that now might be a good time to look at the reach that you have in your communities to see how that might be improved, expanded. Right. And, and some communities have felt restriction, I think. Um, I think that a lot of theaters are still walking around in that sort of, oh, you know, kind of woe is me, how horrible that this happened to my organization. You know, I, I one of the things that I, I love talking to you about, Diane, is like, how do we get out of that bubble of, of what just happened to us? Like what is happening to us right now? And, and how do we start thinking about 2021? What opportunity do you feel like this time is? Can you expand on that a little bit? I sure can. Um, I, I have advised current clients and other colleagues that I speak with um, is to, to really use your radar and see who is innovating, who is looking ahead, who is leaning into the future, um, be it educators or businesses in your community or city officials, government officials, or um, uh, just who in your community is, is, is forward looking. Who's, in, who's on the bow of the ship in front of the sails? And to the extent that's possible to just have com conversations with them, how could I help you? What could we do collaboratively? What we could do cooperatively? I have a client right now um, that it, it's, it's a cadre of organizations of all different disciplines uh, working in their, it's, a, it's an alliance of cultural organizations in a city here in Florida. And we have made two linkages, which are critically important. One is with the economic development people and the economic development people who are looking to um, uh, how do we get people feeling more comfortable about coming back into our stores, shopping on our main street, what can we do? And the arts organizations in that community, for example, have uh, come up with a number of strategies to uh, work together and, and help one another. Um, one instance is that uh, businesses, a business person is being a business is being partnered with an arts group. That business is promoting that arts group in special ways, um, dedicating 10% of their revenue for certain things to that arts group. And the arts group in turn is promoting to all of its clients and um, uh, people taking classes of this business in town. So there are, there are interesting ways, small and large, that um, that can be helpful to organizations. And sometimes, Diane, like that's the thing that, you know, you, you go to board meetings or you go to, you go to staff meetings and it's always somewhere on the list. There's always somewhere on the list that says we should be more involved in our community. But when you're a theater producing a 12 um, show season, 
the likelihood is that might be have fallen way down on your list. And to your point earlier, like there is no better time than now to be actually creating those conversations and creating that opportunity. I see that as a big area of growth, I think, as we all still are not producing at the level we used to. Right. One of the organizations um, in this group is um, actually two of them. One is a college theater entity, and the, it's, it's part of a college. Right. The other is a community playhouse. And um, the community playhouse is partnering with another business. They are offering some actors uh, to be um, out and about in the community. Um, it's different. It's It may not be the most lucrative, but you're building mass, you're building interest, you're building awareness. And, you know, I think that, too, from that comes uh, an eventual arc of fundraising and sponsor growth, yeah. right? I think that theaters might be so used to looking at their bottom line and my show's coming up, I need three sponsors, I need to get the money in. And whereas now we're looking at more of a long arch Right. Of relationship building right now that will pay off later when uh, we're in our new normal sort of right right another extraordinary thing is is um with this same group um i was just at a performance in their community it's about 100 miles south of where i'm sitting on sunday and um it involved 77 union musicians performing they did not have a venue large enough to rehearse in so they were able to, um, because of outreach in the community, um, get involved with a place that does World Wrestling Federation and be in that arena. And that is where they rehearsed for this performance than they just did. So there are strange bedfellows that are emerging out of this. I mean, I would never put in the same sentence a professional orchestra with um, uh, World uh, Wrestling, but, um, but Stranger things have happened, and um, wow. and so there at this performance on Sunday, um, uh, the conductor stands up and thanks this entity. And <laughs> as you can imagine, you know there were we were we were outside, we were in a city park, at tables safely distanced, two and four people at a table. But I am sure that um, probably none of us sitting there would ever have imagined that the World Wrestling uh, Federation had helped with this performance. And it, it just helps us to think differently. I mean, community in the very uh, broadest sense of the word, you just, it, and, and I, I don't think you have to have all the answers yourselves. I think just sit down and talk with other people in the community about what they're doing and brainstorm ideas. Um, uh, this is a time now when collective wisdom and mixing it up with different different people that you might not ordinarily talk with. Um, these are where the ideas are going to come from. Got it. I agree. I agree. Now, one of the other pervasive um, feelings I get with the, with the organizations that I work with, as well as the broader Academy is um, how can we best communicate or maybe change the way we communicate with our board of directors. Uh, and the reason I brought this up to you is because there are people, there are folks um, that are in 
in roles of leadership in the theater who are struggling with their boards. And there are people that are finding their boards are overly active. <laughs> so I'm just curious about the first one. Like what do you, what recommendations do you have about how to change that paradigm or maybe shift the way we're working with our boards that feel less than participatory? Well, it's interesting if executive directors, um, artistic directors, those of you who are on the other side of this screen, what you are feeling in COVID is exactly the same thing that your board members are feeling. They've been walking with you through this journey um, in 2019, 2018, and then we get up to COVID. So your trepidation and your fear, their knowledge of the organization, they're no different than the anxiety that you may be feeling. Right. So toward that end, um, and this is a, um, an idea that I have used and am using now with two clients, and uh, touch wood, it seems to be working. I had um, two organizations, one very strong going into COVID, and one organization not real strong going into COVID. And let me talk about the one that was very small um, going into COVID. Um, it was down to a handful of board members, like less than six. Um, the founding director resigned from the board. There were um, two members of the board that were there because of their theater, their love for theater. They were playwrights, um, and they also went off the board. So this small organization is sitting there with uh, their key talent gone. And they actually considered closing up shop. And this is a small theater group uh, that does really fine work, and they're known in my community. I said, you can't, you can't fold up shop. Um, so in working with them, and the, the people that are there are smart uh, uh, people, but I said, let us put together a team and say for the next 10 months, 12 months, in their case it was from August until May, until their next season starts in June. Let's come up with a list of 10 or 15 people that have been involved with the theater um, in the past, either as sponsors or donors, or um, uh, passionate patrons, or an actor um, who might have been well-connected or somebody who helped with set design, Let's think of the people who most love you. And let's think of these particular skills um, that we need. And let me just take a little side trip in talking about the skills. When I was working with this group, I said, what can we use the time in COVID as, a, as an opportunity to address in this organization? And um, of course, getting more board members was one but shoring up operations in some areas, better marketing and communication with the community. Um, in their case, they had just been moved from a place where they had long been performing. They needed to find a new venue. Uh. We came up with five key areas that, that they needed to be working on. When we looked at those areas, I said, who from this group could be front and center? Who could carry the banner for each of these? And so we parsed up that group of five priorities among the people that were then on the board. And I said, who in your sphere of what we just discussed, do you think we could pull in to help on this particular priority or 
this particular priority. And they came up with a roster of, it was actually 12 individuals. And I said, if these 12 individuals, if you're gonna have some that are not, are gonna say no. We even had a, a, a backup list of like another three people. So I said, we're, we put together a one sheet of the timing and these five priorities and exactly what we were asking folks to do. Two pieces of paper, kind of pretty. You know, we're using this, they were calling it act two. Nice. Uh, there are people that are gonna help us with our act two. Well, they, um, then we assigned who was going to ask which individuals and they came back and they said, no one said no. All of these people agreed to help. Now on a, on a more technical side, I said to them, these people, you're going to suspend your quote board of directors as you now exist. Right. And for these next 10 months in their case, everybody has one vote. All of these people, you're going to be on equal footing because it's important that people feel that they have a role in decision-making. And I said, if you really trust these people, uh, they're not going to steer you wrong. Right. So um, invited everybody did the orientation for the new people. Um, as part of the orientation, we had this list of five priorities and then took them apart and said, these are our kind of tasks within each of the five priorities. And, and so the new group that was put, that was newly assembled with the 12, kind of went off on their separate teams. Right. The last thing we want our 6011 Zoom meetings among folks. <laughs> a little much. So I said, you let folks go off in their teams, work on their priorities, but you come together once a month to talk about the progress that each is making and brainstorm if there are any challenges or issues or, you know, we need help here or this is not working, what should we do? And they're going great guns. So I've not participated with them on the monthly calls now, but I said, you know, ring me and I, every now and again I check in with them and, um, and they're doing really well. I think that they're going to get through and, and facing whatever is next in far better shape. Their operations will be shored up. Um, they're gonna have an artistic plan for the next 24 months of what they could do, um, not just regular stage productions, but staged readings, um, what they can do offsite. Um, St. Augustine, we're lucky, the weather is nice all year round, so people can do um, more things outdoors than they might. So partnerships with schools, with colleges, um, with, uh, we have a number of, I hate to say, sort of, you know, communities here, built communities, uh, in some cases, gated communities that have their own venue. But um, getting this theater group out in, in reaching new audiences that they haven't before. So does that, um, what am I missing in describing no, that? You know, I, I think you, we talked about this um, earlier and, it, you know, it, uh, such a light bulb went off in my head. Whereas, and I think about this a lot. I, I think I spent a lot, I am on a board. So full, full disclosure, I am on a, a board of a theater. And I, I really think a lot about, well, how is COVID going to change how boards work? Because I think it's a function of the theater um, history that, is ripe for evolution. And when you brought this idea up, and there have been committees before where you can be on the a committee of a theater organization and not be on the board, but the way you just described it, Diane, and the way you structured it with the theater um, that you worked with, um, 
it's so easy for people of expertise and influence to say yes to a small focused project versus saying yes to this very vague general, I'll be on the board. And it mirrors what ha is happening in corporate America in a big way. Whereas, yeah. you know, where you're able to say yes to small focused um, uh, goals with a beginning, a middle and an outcome that has a, you know, that have a hypothesis attached to it. If we do this, then this should happen. And when you said that to me um, yesterday, I was like, well, this makes so much sense. And now you've applied that and you're seeing it work. So it's, it's I hate committees. I, I really don't like committees. Um, I don't think people like committees. It's a word I try frequently not to use. Right. I, um, I like to have a team or a working group or a task force or two or three members of a board who might be a liaison to a certain aspect or dimension of the operations. And the idea of that is that, you know, committees, you're on a committee for a year. Well, task forces could be three months. They could be six months, right. could be 18 months. And you let that group self-define. How much time do you think it's going to take for you to do this? That's part of it also. And then um, you may find that some people wish to come on. I mean, we have to have boards with fiduciary responsibility the way right. our whole nonprofit 501c3 and all of that is built. But I think that there is a way to make it that's more palatable, palatable to people. Others mm -hmm. think that, you know, you've got to have a bankroll um, to be on a board. You've got to be able to contribute. And we love board members who are able to contribute. But um, especially in times like now, I mean, with that small group, uh, this theater company, there is a person who um, acted for the first time when he moved here, um, who happens to be a former exec at AT&T at a big city in the Northeast. Right. His assistance to them in fundraising and sponsorships has been, for him, it's like falling off a log. And what he would never go on the board, because um, uh, I had talked with him about going onto the board before yeah. COVID, and he said, not doing that. But he was the first to say yes to jump in and help with this defined, tailored uh, um, task. So, for what it's worth. So, Diane, what do you? How would you apply that if you're an organization that? Is footing is a little bit more sure, you know, COVID has definitely impacted and, and, and caused great struggle, whether you're, you've got some staff that's still furloughed or you're still working on, on half of your engine, but your, your, your funding and your organization is secure. Do you have advice on how to be thinking about communication and, and connection and, and growing despite what's going on right now? The, the second example um, of the group with whom I've been working is an organization with a budget of almost $5 million. And they are in a facility that they own. Um, and they are uh, well established and they have a large staff. They have a board of directors. Um, and what we talked about, uh, because of the fatigue factor that I had just talked about earlier, staff right. feeling a little beat up and boards like, my God, what else is going to happen? Um, we, I did some work with them, and as part of the work, I was interviewing uh, former board members, people in the community that had been donors, and some uh, very faithful volunteers. And 
I think to a person, those who sounded most enthusiastic about this particular theater, and this theater hired me to come up with a strategy to navigate COVID and the beyond. Um, we are in the process now, I, I did a report for them and um, it was really the COVID plan. Right. But, um, we shared that with the board. Um, I did a follow-up call this past, gosh, Friday, and I could not believe the number of board members who were on that call uh, with me as well as staff. And um, one of the recommendations that they're following up on now is to invite some of these people to come and walk with them for the next 12 months to uh, serve um, and we have outlined some strategies for them to be working on, but to invite particular people to be on point with them in moving certain strategies forward. One of them is, um, is community outreach. This right. is a group that uh, they've got a very good following, uh, a huge following, but when you look at the characteristics of that large group of following, there are a lot of elements of the community, a lot of people in the community that are not involved. And they are very intent on expanding their reach into those communities. And I'm hopeful that these people that they're pulling in will help them. Um, also reaching out to people in communities, leaders in those communities, respected individuals, respected artists, to work with this theater company to help uh, build partnerships. Um, I can give you a specific example. Um, this is a, it's a pretty, um, seems politically correct, it's a, it's a pretty white um, organization. Um, and they're in a community that has a lot of diversity that has changed over the years. But they haven't changed their MO and how they're involving those, um, those representatives and artistic groups and those different populations. So they are reaching out to one of the, theaters um, in their community that is um, it's representative of all, it's, it's African-American, all black, and they are talking about um, uh, a very good symbiotic partnership where each of them will benefit as a result of the partnership, um, starting with bringing different constituents um, uh, in, but also by standing side by side in their artistic planning and in what they're doing, they will learn from one another in fabulous ways. So, well, and that's that's a great example. Obviously, you know, the the past seven months have not only brought the pandemic and challenges to actually creating theater, but we've had Black Lives Matter. We've had the continued challenge of, of having women represented um, adequately in the theater organizations from top to bottom, from board to staff members. And so we see all of these things coming to a head right now. And like you said earlier, this is this is the opening for change. Um, I love that example of that theater. You, you said it's, it's that's the large organization, right? Um, large, yeah. Largely white um, and, and really they're using this chance, you know, based on your guidance to open themselves up to new partnerships. Yeah, I would say that, um, and this could be an exercise that folks on the other side of the screen could do with their staff um, to look at uh, if after after COVID, you could wave a magic wand and things that you wish were different 
uh, in your organization, what you might be doing better or outreach that's better, actually make a list with staff of what those are and pile up uh, the hardest ones at the top of the list. You know, what are things we've just not been able to do that we really want to address? It could be outreach, it could be communication, um, it could be building an individual donor base, it could be uh, more sponsorships, it could be better uh, relationships with the uh, school systems, whatever it might be. Look at, put together a wish list of, of things that you wish you could change and then see which have the greatest potential for really changing your organization in the future. And those are strategies, I, and don't pick 11, pick like the top three or four yeah. that you really want to put energy into. It might be that you only pick two, but focus on those and then figure out the team of brains and, and community people that they don't have to be involved with you every step of the way, but to involve as you go to help you make these changes. And um, I think that the fact that you want to change and are moving in this direction, um, you know, smart people with good hearts are, are going to help, I think. Now, you guys, if you have questions for Diane, make sure you add them to the question module at the bottom. I'll also check chat in a minute, um, but we want to make sure we have some time to get to your questions. And I had just one last question for you. You know, a big part, Diane, of what we do here at Playhouse Marketing Group is that we really help theaters um, innovate and change the way that they've done all of their marketing practices. And I always feel like marketing and communications are just so tightly wound together. Um, do you have any thoughts about, about how you see communication and PR and, and those community partnerships um, benefit from marketing? Like how do you see, do you ever see that weaving its way into what you do? Um, yes, I think that um, um, I can't say enough for target marketing and um, one message, one size does not fit all with our messaging. And I find that the, um, the more thoughtful and the more direct that communications are with the constituents that you're trying to reach, the more successful you will be. So, um, for example, if you are looking to reach into the African-American community or the Latino community or the Native American community or that part of the community that hasn't participated, who are the best trusted sources to those communities and working with them to develop marketing strategies that um, really resonate with people to make sure that you're not insulting people um, that you're messaging with the audiences that you're trying to reach, ask them what language is making sense here, what makes no sense. Um, uh, team with people that have the capacity to be helpful to you, but we never, you cannot over communicate and you cannot over market. We who are in the arts, we who are in the arts think that if you have to market, um, nobody ever had to market to us. We are in this because we love the arts and we think everyone else does also. And that is totally false, totally wrong. Um, you've got to invest and spend time in marketing because everyone doesn't have the same heart or level of understanding that we do about what we do. 
So you've got to talk about that. It is. And, you know, you, you said targeted marketing and, and my brain all immediately went into my marketing world. And it, it's so true where a lot of times, you know, you think, well, I'm going to do this project and here's my marketing. Here's my poster. Here's my email campaign. Here's my Facebook um, Facebook post. Um, here's the mailer that I'm mailing out. Yeah. And that that is just blanketing marketing if you want to if you want to grow certain segments you have to market the way they expect to be marketed to right if, exactly. if you're trying to grow your theater school or you or you have a, a your folk th that those three things that you're the homework that diane just gave us um if those three things one of them ends up being education then you have to think about how do i market to the kids and parents that we need to come into our organization. And it doesn't look the same as it does when you're trying to market a production. So big aha moment for me, because it's really true. Marketing changes based on your audience. Marketing changes based on your audience. Marketing changes on your product, whatever your offer is. Um, I worked with another organization. In fact, it's this group that whose concert I happened to attend yeah. this past Sunday and working with them um, over the past three years in, in their strategic planning, we actually looked at every of their every one of their programs and said, um, uh, I mean, their 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 patron base is older um, people who can afford um, uh, what these productions were, and we said, you know, you need to build new audiences for each of your products. So we looked at product offerings, we looked at classes, we looked at their um, we looked at their artistic offerings for the next three years and said, three to whom years. in this community are these things, are these offerings going to appeal to? And if you can't, if you're hard pressed to think of who this offering is going to appeal to, then you shouldn't be doing this offering. So, um, yeah. It's so, and that that's where the line gets so fuzzy between um, the artistic endeavors of an organization and the business endeavors. Whereas, you know, very often theaters, you're, you're, sometimes you're ruled by how your artistic team wants things to go. And sometimes it's hard to say, well, that's not going uh, to. Suck. I don't think it's, I don't think it's dumbing down your product. Right. I don't. It's bastardizing your product, excuse my French. I think it's just being very smart about what excellent offerings can you provide and where do you find the niche? Where do you find the window? Where do you find the door? It enables this work to connect with that audience. And yeah. then sure to work with that um, people on the receiving end to make sure um, doesn't require a lot of money. It doesn't. It just requires being very smart about how where you apply your energy and the resources that you do have for the best return. Absolutely. Okay, let's go over to see if we've got some questions here. Um, uh, let's see here. Let's see what we've got. Um, let's pop over to the question module, and then I'll go over to comments. Um, what is, Diane, what is the most important thing you would stress to a small theater? I love the example you gave. Uh, what is the most important thing that that small theater worked on? Uh, if you're unhappy with your reach into the community, I would immediately focus on building 
the reach, building the audience base, and where is the fertile ground in your community that you think you can do that? And who would be a partner in the community that could help you do that? Um, I think it's, um, we've got to partner more and I know partnership can be a very mixed bag. Sometimes you go in partnership with a group and you wind up doing 90% of the work and they wind up doing 10% of the work. Yeah. But, um, small theaters focus on audience building and where you think the audience group with the greatest probability to like what you're doing might come to you and then work it. Um, begin to talk with people that are involved in that. Where can you program? Um, what could you be providing that would be of interest to these folks? And um, again, you, you've got to mix it up. You have to have conversations with people that can help you. We can't come up with these answers in silos. We've right. got to communicate. Right. So, and the other thing is when you say that you're an art group or a theater group, there are a lot of folks out there who were not who are intimidated by the very notion of theater. And so if you can make what you're doing non-intimidating to them, kind of in a fun way, um, or, or just talk about expression, you know, in your life, what things, um, you know, what books have you read, or uh, what kind of movies do you enjoy, or what kind of programming, just fish for that common ground. And you know what, Michelle's on the stream right now and Michelle is a great example. She just said, I think we're busier now than we were during normal times, um, which is a great thing for a theater to say. Um, and I think Michelle's a great example of a theater um, that uh, is really opening their doors to people that would not necessarily think that they would be interested in the theater by, like you said, Diane, doing things online that are of, to interest to many people, um, opening opening the scope and and you know having online content and online experiences actually opens your door wider to people that may not feel comfortable right. coming into your building. Or to right? do, um, yeah, in some cases with this larger theater, they're doing um, small actors, um, one, two, three person play, single play um, that require no sets. So the mobility of being able to bring the work to where people are who are not going to come into a theater um, is a good way to think of it. It's very exciting. Um, Lisa said, the challenge I face is that the creatives need an outlet, but they're reckless. So the paid staff is put in the position of being enforcers, which is no fun. Sometimes, um, right? That is um, uh, a specific example, this larger theater. Um, the work plan that we developed to get them through COVID and post-COVID, I said, you've got to sit down and you've got to have a conversation with your actors, with your key volunteers. You've got to bring them into this plan so that they understand it and see themselves in it and also understand the challenges that you're going through. It will help them focus. It goes back to my notion of, of um, communication. If you've got a team of people, staff is having a conversation over here, but you're not talking to your actors, you're not talking to the people that are building sets, you're not talking to the ushers, you've got to pull them in and say, you're part of the brain trust now. This is what we're dealing with. And, um, and if they're informed, um, I believe that you can channel, it would be easier to, to channel their energy uh, to move forward so that you're not, in, you don't want to be an enforcer. You want to you all come. You want to get them on the team. and But you have to share information with them and give them a chance and, and then be honest with them. Say, look, if here's our work plan. 
for the next 12 months. This is what we really need you to focus on. And if you can come on board, and this is something you can't do, then this may not be the right time. And you might make an example of one or two people who say, I can't do this, but the rest then come on board. So for what that's worth. Oh, good. Uh, Sherry said, thank you. That's great advice. Um, I did want to call out Tony. Anthony said, um, he said, basically, we're in essence changing the product on our shelves that we provide our customers for a temporary time. And then maybe some of us are asking, um, will it live on permanently? You know, um, and that goes back to innovation. Maybe we can wrap up on that too, Diane. You know, um, when, when you were, we're tasked to innovate, it can be very scary. When we're tasked at, to be at the crossroads of a point where you need to innovate or not, or not survive, I think that's a point in an organization that you have, a, you, you probably have a lot to say, right? Where, where do you make that shift from uneasy, feeling upset and sad to it's time to change and innovate? Um, that's a real good question. This large theater that I'm working with, um, the, the sentiment is exactly what uh, your, your person just described, that it's hard to make change. So what we did, um, we actually created a chart said, what are your flagship offerings? And they included musicals, main stage plays, um, uh, children's theater, um, their education programs. These are the bread and butter of that organization and what they're most known for. Um, uh, so then we looked at each of those areas and, and then there are some other kinds of offerings, smaller scale. We listed them all. And we said, what of these, of these offerings which ones could we modify, change a bit, right. so that they might have um, legs in another in another rendition? Uh, I can give you some examples. They had um, they did a, a, a like a Friday afternoon thing for preschool kids every Friday. It was like a fun day thing, and it's pretty successful. And so we took that flagship program, right said, how might this be expanded also with the headset of more community outreach? That, that particular program is going to be exported safely to other venues where there are kids that would never have the resources necessarily to come to the theater right. to see them, but they might be in a church that they go to. And um, I, they're looking now for sponsors and partners to help bring those programs. Right. So calling those bridge programs, sort of metamorphosis of great ideas and how to put a new bass drum on its belly in a new red dress to march it out into another part of the community right. where it'll resonate and make sense. And they're doing that with a number of their programs. So we're calling those bridge programs. Right. And then um, I might even share a chart with Julie that she can put online someplace for you to see um, when during COVID and post COVID, but to be able to go to um, those people in the community that you want to help the organization or donors or potential donors or people that might have money to contract with you to say, this is what we're trying to do to increase our outreach. These are the flagship programs. These are our bridge programs to link to new audiences. And this is what we have in mind. And these are partners out in the community that we're working with. So um, I don't know what you think of that, but. That's great. Yes. Oh my gosh. That would be incredible. Yes, please. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's my goal here, right? 
to get us kind of out of this bubble of the last seven months and how do we start thinking ahead and thinking about navigating change. And I love that you, you know, you words like change and innovate um, are overwhelming words. And I just checked myself on that because those are very, um, those can be very, those can make you feel apprehensive. But words like a bridge program or evolve something or modify it, that seems a lot less scary to people because yep. there are always going to be people in the organization that are like, no, it must be this way. It has been this way forever. You know, it's been this way for 100 years or 50 years. And so using those words, even like you're so good at communication, like those words shift actually opens the door wider. Yeah, I love it. I love to it. talk about what do we feel best about with this and what scares the baloney out of us? What right. don't we want to happen? Get that on the table. And it doesn't have to be a long, protracted conversation. Right. It be 45 minutes in discussing a program and potential outreach, which is exactly what I did with this organization. It's like, what scares the baloney out of you and where do you think there's potential? And then, um, and then you're mindful of where those bad triggers are, but also where there's hope. You right. all need to become prisoners of hope. I love it. I'm going to leave it right there, Diane. That was the perfect, uh, perfect, um, a perfect exclamation point on a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you so much again for being here. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again someday soon because I always learn so much and I always get so inspired by what you say and do. So thanks again, Diane. Bye, really appreciate everyone it. stay strong, don't give up. Thank you, Diane. Listen, everyone, I wanted to let you know that I'm still finalizing the um, November content for next month. So stay tuned. If you're not uh, a subscriber to the Academy yet, I highly recommend you do that. There's a link below where you can go to our website and you can sign up so that you don't miss any information that's coming out of the Academy in November. There's a lot of great stuff happening and I cannot wait to share it with you in a few days. So if you're not already already signed up to our our list please do that today and again thank you so much for being here i hope you found diane's words inspiring and um helping you find your way out of this bubble of the last seven months and and looking at the future in a positive way taking it small step by step project by project outreach by outreach that was my takeaway today you know Get out into the community, connect, talk, learn, listen, and evolve, right? Well, listen, again, thanks again for being here. Take care, stay safe, vote, vote, vote. If you don't have your plan to vote yet or you have not yet voted and your state allows early voting, please make a plan to do that. Wear your masks. The only way we will get through this is by people wearing masks so that we can get this pandemic under control and we can all get back into our theater spaces. Okay, take care, everybody, and have a great rest of the day. Did you know that there are five things that you can do today to grow your influence and presence online? If you head on over to creativesgoingdigital.com, I've got a free resource that's available to you right now today that will help you 
get a kickstart and jumpstart to your world online as an artist and a creative. So don't delay. Download today. Is that dorky? I don't know. Is that dorky? Maybe. <laughs>